that grab was the sound of a monster jam truck. And not just any monster jam truck. It was the sound of Megalodon. Megalodon is one of the trucks in a series of monster jam that travels the globe, entertaining motorsport enthusiasts of the monster jam variety. What is monster jam? Think big trucks, big engines, doing crazy tricks and stunts over jumps, over cars, backflips, 360s, unbelievable stuff. They've turned it into a, an empire and a sport, and one of the people at the top of that sport is a young man by the name of Justin Sipes. Now recently Justin was in Melbourne for the Monster Jam series on its global tour, and then afterwards in Puerto Rico. And he gave us some time to catch up with him, and in, during that time it became apparent that he is, like us, a golf addict. It was a really cool chat. Justin tells us his story of how he came up through the motocross ranks and made it through to the top level and what it took, the dedication, his family around him and the team and how they came together and how he made it from Midwest Kentucky, USA to the top stage racing against some of the big names and how he's transferred those skills into the world of Monster Jam and how he knocked on doors and tried real hard and found a new career and is making a real red hot crack of that. In terms of his golf, he loves it. He loves getting out and he uses it as a form of relaxation away from the Monster Jam world and a chance to catch up with his mates. He loves the PGA Tour, plays on a few nice golf courses and tinkers around with some gear. What's not to love about this man? He was a great guy, someone that I'm looking forward to staying in touch with through our joint connection of both motorcycles and golf following his journey. So this is hopefully just the start of... uh, our chance to catch up with Justin. It's a great story. Enjoy. There's a little bit of the conversation tacked on at the end about Justin's brother, who's also one of the top flight riders. If you're into motocross, you might want to stay on and listen to that after our interview. Thanks for listening again. First uh, international guest, and really appreciate Justin's time. Hope you enjoy the My Love of Golf podcast for this week. Like us, subscribe, let us know, give us some feedback. The Mike Ferroni podcast was very, very well received. Some really nice chat coming through there. Mike got in contact with me recently and said that he had had many people coming through his pro shop door just commenting on how uh, touched they were by his story. So that was really nice feedback to hear for a fledgling podcaster such as myself. Appreciate your time guys. Enjoy the listen. Guys, welcome back to to Justin Sipes. We're live on the line from, I think if I pronounce it right, Justin, you can fill me in. Flaherty, Kentucky. Yeah, is that correct? Yep, Flaherty, Kentucky. Flaherty, Kentucky. So you, you've been there your whole life. Is that sort of your hood? Yeah, I grew. Let's see, the first four years of my life, um, I lived in a house that is probably five miles from here. And then I moved here when I was five and been living here ever since. So, man, you make your way in the world as the driver of Megalodon in the world of Monster Jam. And uh, 
I'll let you. I'll let you explain what Monster Jam is. So tell us what what's Monster Jam for those that don't know. Uh, really, it's just uh, massive trucks. It it's came a long way. It started out as see who have big truck and go through a big mud hole. Um, that was way back when, and it went into crushing cars, uh, um, stuff like that. And then uh, now we actually got custom built tracks. Uh, they have cars. We can do backflips. We just travel around the world. Um, I was just in Australia um, and did a stadium event out there. And uh, mostly out of the States, but uh, I'm sure I will venture out more. Um, I, I went outside the States or three times this year. Well, about to go on my third time and uh, just travel around the world and show people what we do. So, man, you, right. you, you just said you are in Australia, and that's where we met, and uh, we had a good chat and catch up there. How did you go when you are in Australia? Uh, it was good. I've been, so I've been driving uh, for Monster Jam for two years, and I've been in arenas, which are a lot smaller. Yep. You've just come down to Australia. Tell us how you went in Australia again. So, you were Sydney, Melbourne, Adelaide. Where was the best for you? Um, let's see. It was Melbourne. Uh, no, Dang, I can't even remember, uh, which city it was. It was my, let's see, we did Adelaide and Sydney and then Melbourne. Yeah. So it was Melbourne. Um, we did two shows in Melbourne and I ended up winning, uh, the overall on the first show in Melbourne or Me Melbourne, as you call it, I guess. Yeah. How do you? <laughs> I, I still haven't figured. I still haven't figured out how to talk Australian, so you got to bear with me on that. No man, that's fine. That was your first visit to Australia, wasn't it? Yeah, it's the first time I've been. So you know, you talked about the accent. You haven't figured it out. What did you? What did you think of us Aussies down here? What was that like? Uh, it was good. Everybody was super nice. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was like nobody had any problems with anything. Everybody was just laid back and. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was a cool experience. Very good. Down here, did you race the three forms of the event at Monster Jam? Did you, you're in the truck, you've got the bike, and you've got the little, um, the smaller, you know, buggy type car. You know, you can tell me what exactly it is. Did you do that down here, or is that just for the bigger stadiums? Um, yeah, for the, so we did stadiums in Australia, and, uh, in stadiums, it's just, just the Monster Jam truck. Yeah, okay. Um, when I was doing the three different vehicles, it was when I was doing arenas. So the stadiums are just just the trucks. So like a, a stadium is, I think your event in Melbourne was um, at Amy Park. So that's like a, a soccer stadium, a rugby league, a rugby union stadium. An arena, when you're performing the full-scale event, that's what's that like? You know, Where would you do that in the States back home? Well, an arena is actually, it's just smaller. It's like, um, we do it in hockey arenas. I don't know, do y'all have hockey out there? No, uh, yes, but no, not like you do. But, um, so smaller, so much smaller. Yeah, yeah, the arenas are, are much smaller. And that's what I did my first two years. And actually, next year, uh, for 2019, I'll be doing all stadiums. So that's kind of a step up for me, which is good. Yeah, cool. So in the Monster Jam world, 
you know, you've got teams like you do in the motocross world where, where you know, you spend a good chunk of your um, professional career. What are the teams, for those that don't know Monster Jam and might want to jump on and follow? You've got your team, Megalodon. Who else? Yeah, it's, um, I guess they, they call them teams uh, because there are, there are multiples of every truck. So there's more than one grave digger, uh, more than one grave digger driver. Yeah. And so they're in, they have separate trucks. So they, they would call it Team Grave Digger or Team Megalodon or Team El Toro Loco. But it's, it's not a team as in, um, you know, th- th- there won't be two Megalodons at the same show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With the exception of possibly World Finals. So it's not really like a, a team like that, mm-hmm. but it's a team as in I got my crew chief, which is my mechanic, the guy who works on it. Um, and yeah, I mean, really it's just me and me and him. And, and then if something does break, um, everybody, everybody comes together to help whichever truck, because the, the main goal is to get out um, and put on a show for the fans. Yeah. And so everybody kind of works together. If there's ever a problem, like um, in Puerto Rico, which where I was a week or so ago, I blew a motor in one of the shows. And Ew. three hours later, we had another show. So everybody, you know, all the crew chiefs, all the mechanics from all the different trucks, all pitched in to change my motor so we can get back in the next show. So we're competing against each other, but at the same time, we're all kind of a team because you got to put the show. Um, the show's got to go on because our main goal. Yeah, our main goal. You know, you don't want to come to a, a monster jam event and three of the eight trucks are broke and yeah. you don't get to see them. So. Yeah. Uh, main goal is to everybody get out there. Now, once we're on the track, you know, it's it's straight-up competition. You want to beat whoever you're up against. It's kind of cool, isn't it? Because, you know, like, you know, you've had plenty of insight and experience in the in the motor racing world, and, and, and as have, have I. And just to think that, uh, you know, the McLaren guys might help out the Ferrari guys at the Formula One because, you know, Lewis Hamilton yeah. blew, blew a gearbox or an engine. Oh, gee, it's never going to happen, is it? So that's that's really yeah. really cool. Yeah, it's definitely different. Um, it's uh, I don't know the, the crew guys. They they work their butts off. Um, there's no way that we could do it without those guys and all of them coming together just to make sure all the trucks are, you know, competing every show. Because sometimes we have two shows a day. Sometimes we have six shows in a weekend. You know, it's and there's a lot of breakage. These uh. Yeah. The tricks we're doing now is uh, everything. If, if one little thing don't go right, something's going to break. If if you're listening to this and you haven't seen the sort of work and the tricks that Justin's talking about, you need to click on, you know, you can YouTube, you can find it in a second. And it's simply amazing. When you have a look at it, it's just amazing. But then when you stop and think about it and think, wow, you know, he just was in one wheel, the truck was rolling forward, and then while while he's ninety degrees vertical to the ground, he's chucked it into reverse to reverse the truck to save it from falling over nose first or whatever. It's unbelievable that you can do that and operate those skills. I, I just find it mind blowing. And uh, 
since since we've met, I've you know I've watched it a little bit more, and and uh, it's it's great. I've I've probably sat there for about two or three or four hours, you know, sitting on YouTube watching all these videos. It's fantastic. <laughs> so man, yeah, it's uh, it's definitely came a long way from from crushing cars. There's there's a lot more we can do now. How do the how do the trucks get from stateside to you know Australia? Uh, in, in shipping containers, shipping, okay, normal so, yeah. shipping containers. Yeah, okay, I just get broken down. Shipped um, across, yeah. You take the the big tires off, the sixty six inch tires, and let's see how wide are they? I want to say maybe four foot wide, something like that. Uh, you take those off, and then you put little ones that are maybe two two foot tall and only I don't know eight inches wide. And then it'll just, you can drive it right up into a shipping container. Cool. Hmm. So the other thing that I thought was pretty cool, now that I've looked into it more, is, you know, your sport is a sport that is very family-oriented. So that's great from a participant, yeah. um, from a spectator perspective. Um, but very female-oriented as well in, in terms of, you know, out of the number of drivers, there's what I can see a reasonably high proportion for the amount of drivers of ladies. It's fantastic. Yeah. So, yep. so you've, how many girls you got driving? Um, there, let's see, we had two girls in Australia. Um, yeah, I think most of the arena tours have two girls out of eight trucks. So, um, yeah, so I mean, a quarter of the drivers probably are women. I'm um, let's talk golf for a second. But down here in Australia, we have a, have a, a professional event. It's in February next year. It's called the Victorian Open, and the big scale. It's not one of the the big tournaments that we have. Well, it's become a big tournament, but you know, it's not like the Australian Open or the Masters, which is now not even in, in existence. But they have the Vic Open, mm. and it's an event that the guys. And the ladies playing together, and it's is it like a team thing. Or? No, no team. It's still an individual. You know, there's a ladies tournament and a and a men's tournament, but they they play in the same event on the same course at the same time together, and it's becoming what's well, the I think the equal biggest prize money or will be become the biggest prize money event in Australia on the Australian um, PGA Tour, and it's been co-sanctioned with mm -hmm. uh, the European Tour. So you know, it's a direct pathway from. That's my dog's barking. <laughs> um, a direct pathway from playing in Australia to Europe, and the participation from spectators uh, in in a part of Victoria, which is an hour and a half away from any town, is is phenomenal. And I think professional golf can take a lot out of like what you you guys are doing and making sure that you've got. You know, I'm sure it's just not by design. You know, by by chance. You know, the girls are in there because. Yeah, yeah. It's it's they're great drivers, absolutely, but um, they know that it works for the participation and the uh, and the audience and the spectator spectacle. I think it's fantastic, and I think golf can do a lot more, a lot, lot more on that front. But anyway, that's another another story that someone else can deal with. Um, <laughs> so, man, Monster Jam, Megalodon, but before that, motocross, and that's where. I think you and I yeah. sort of connected, you know, because 
you know, my guys that don't know, you know, I, I the reason that I got out of playing golf was because I started riding a motorcycle out of, you know, economic necessity, I guess, which then prevented me from being able yeah. to carry carry, motor, uh, carry golf clubs. So I stopped playing golf. But what transpired is yeah. a passion for, for me, for a passion for motorcycles. And I started riding on racetracks and riding, you know, RGV 250s, you know, and you know what they are little fast little two-stroke yeah, you know yeah. weapons so i raced those for a little bit but not very successfully i got into some you know grass grass motocross you know we called it thumping at so four stroke stroke motocross and uh motorcycles from my 20s consume me so in that being consumed you know i got into into motocross and that's where you know when when we met and you said you know justin sipes and I, thought, I, I, I know your name and you know you went on to then say well you know you raced at the the highest level of professional sport in, in motocross. What was that journey like, man? You know, that was, and this is where we sort of start to look at, I start to think about young golfers, you know, like how did you start out? You know, what was that like back in the day? Um, yeah, well, first off on the, the whole how we met thing, I think I was looking at putters at the time and you come up and started talking and, uh, <laughs> However, it, it came about that I said I was there for Monster Jam, and uh, you said, so you're like the Chad Reed of Monster Jam. And I was like, well, I, I don't know about that, but I did used to race Chad Reed, <laughs> and uh, so that's that's kind of how we we got started. That was kind of cool. Like, you just, you plug that in, not even knowing, um, didn't have any idea, anything to do with dirt bikes, or would even know who Chad Reed is, and so it's just. That's just cool because you said you uh, grew up in the same town as Chad Reed. Yeah. And uh, so it's just it's just crazy how it's a small world, but so yeah, you, starting out. So you so um, just on that, so you know Chad, yeah? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm. I went and rode at his house once, and I've talked to him here and there. Like we're not best buddies or anything, yeah. but yeah. Yeah, I I sort of equate Chad to um and. I don't know Chad at all, you know. I think at the at the thumping ats, I might have been allowed to park my, you know, two fifty cc four stroke bike in the same pits as the Suzuki team that he was racing for in Australia for a brief moment, because I was, you know, from the the factory so to speak. But um, you know, yeah. I, I put I put his first one two five cc Suzuki into the back of his van with his dad, you know, lifting it into the back of the van. But you know, he's obviously went on to to, to great things. I sort of equate Chad to like the Adam Scott. What Adam Scott is to golf in Australia, you know, Chad Reed was to motocross. So, you know, if you're a motocrosser, you, you, know, yeah. you, you know Chad because Chad brought the big stage, the big dollars, the big show of motocross to from the States to Australia for any any young motocrosser. So, you know, he's, he's done a lot for motocross and your sport in Australia and, you know, anyone that rides two wheels knows who Chad is. Um, sorry, but back to the, yeah. the start of your journey, man. Yeah, so... Um... Uh, my dad raced just, you know, locally. Uh, he was a local A rider, which would be like a, I don't know, I guess that would be like a web.com through a golf. Yep. Um, so it's like, it's not the, it's not the PGA tour, but it, it's, you know, local. Well, I don't know if that's a, that's a way to uh, describe it. But anyways, he was a local pro, um, and he raced. Uh, my brother's four years older than me, and uh, when my brother was two, my dad bought him a JR50, 50cc, and nice him and Ryan nice little, little Suzuki. That and other. 
Yeah, a little Suzuki 50. And um, so then when I came along uh, and it came to be my second birthday, I got that same JR50 uh, for my second birthday. And then Dad kind of, he quit racing so he could, you know, so both of me and my brother could race. And uh, so it just took off from there. And we uh, traveled around uh, pretty much locally for the most part. Uh, we did some big races. And, you know, we'd travel up to maybe 10 hours away or something like that. Um, and then, let's see, when I was probably 11, uh, I got a sponsorship from Kawasaki. And when that happened, um, they, to be, you know, to have them as a sponsor, you had to do um, a few key big championship races per year. So that's when we started traveling all over and um, just racing everywhere in the U.S. And uh, then in 2000, let's see, 2007, I turned pro and raced Supercross. Um, and then, yeah, I did Supercross Motocross from 2007 through 2015 and, um, racing Chad Reed and, um, you know, Ryan Dungey, all them guys. And then I just had, a last four years, I guess from 2012 through 2015, I had a lot of injuries. So I was... Um, I would get hurt, you know, and I would heal for six months and train for two months and then go do a few races. And then it was just like dumb luck things, like nothing that was really my fault. And I would get hurt again and I'd go through the whole process. So it was, uh, it was the last four years was a, a big struggle. And then I got the, the opportunity to, uh, drive for Monster Jam and, uh, it's been awesome. You get the same the same kind of adrenaline rush, the same um, competitiveness and, and everything else, but you got a cage around you. Uh, so it's a lot safer. And, uh, yeah, I love it. I still ride every now and then and and uh, just do Monster Jams most of the time. So how did that opportunity to do Monster Jam come about? You know, like, what did that look like? Was it just, did you know someone? Was it... I've all I've always I've always um, like thought it would be cool. Ever since I was a kid, watching Monster Jams on TV, um, you know, I'd kind of just daydream about it. If I if I had a monster truck at my house, you know, what what could I do with it? And but I never really knew that it was possible to get into it for you know a guy like me to drive one other than, you know, if I came into a lot of money and built one or something like that. But um, the Failed Entertainment uh, is who owns Monster Jam, and they also own Supercross. Mm. Um, So long story short, I just finally finally got the idea and finally got the contacts um, to send in. I sent like a resume and and just said hey I'd, I'd like to drive for you guys would you would you um 
you know, would you give me a chance? And they, uh, they called me back. They ended up bringing, bringing me up to Tom Mintz's house, uh, which is a, the famous driver of Max D. And, um, I went up there and, and did like, I guess you, you would call it a trial. And they brought, I think, like 40 drivers through that year to try out, and they hired six of us. So I must have done something right. And, uh, yeah, so then we just, I think three or four times that year, I went up to Tom's house, and they had a truck there and, and got to practice and, and learn some stuff. And then they, uh, then 2017, Come January, I was on the full-time tour, and uh, yeah, that's leads us up. I did that for two years. Uh, uh, it's uh, called the Triple Threat. Um, Monster Jam Triple Threat is what tour I was on, where you ride the three different vehicles, or you drive the three different vehicles in, in each competition, and um, I did that for two years, and then uh, come next year, I'm going to be on the the big show in the stadiums. Did you win the triple threat this year? Did you win like the cha- the championship or something like that? Did I say that? Yeah, yeah, I did uh, both years actually. My first year, 2017, I won the championship, and then uh, this year I also won the championship. Well done, man. Well done. So, um, so who we golf for you? When did that start? When did you when did you become in love with this game? And I take it that uh, from uh, our first chat and the time that we spent together, that you're addicted to golf. So when when did that kick in? Mm-hmm. When did that kick in? Um, I would say let's see. I was probably eighteen. Um, all through high school and stuff, my my school had a golf team and. This, that, and the other, and I just thought, I thought, to be honest, I thought it was the dumbest sport ever, and um, it, and I never never gave it a chance, and then I had some buddies that they played golf, and they talked me into it, they were like, come on, just go golfing, you'll see, go golfing, so um, I went, and I kind of like, was kind of making fun of it, I guess. Not not really making fun of it, but I got my you know I put a visor on you know and a collared shirt and, and uh, just kind of being silly and went out there and played we just played nine holes is all and uh, I had another buddy that went with me well it, it was four of us and uh, we ended up because you know first time you play golf you're not gonna be any good so we kind of played scramble two man scramble is what we did. And uh, hit, and we parred the first hole, and uh, I was all pumped, and you know, thinking this game's easy and everything else, and then the rest of it was a disaster. But, but had a blast, and then, yeah, that's pretty much where it started. And then the better I got, the more addicted I became to it. And then, uh, then I got to, got real into putters. And morning, I guess, I guess I was trying to find a putter that would hit the ball in the hole every time. <laughs> and come to find out, I don't think it exists. So I have probably 20, 25 putters in the garage. Um, you know, they're just like 
yard sale finds and stuff. Yeah. Uh, mostly, mostly cheap putters. I got a few expensive ones and, um, but yeah, it's just been, it's been an addiction. That's, that's like my out to everything. You know, on the golf course, you don't think about any of your problems. You don't think about anything else that's going on. Um, you just go out there It's and it's between you and the course. And, and I think I love it so much because it's so difficult. It's, it's hard to master. I mean, I don't, I don't know if you could ever master it, but, uh, it's just you, there's always something new to learn. There's always something different you can do. Um, and it, it doesn't rely on anybody else. It all relies on you. You got to make yourself better. And uh, yeah, I just I just keep plugging away and get better and better. Uh, hopefully, I have a a little a little bit of a lull when I was hurt in those four years. Um, that'll that'll hurt the golf game and you can't come out and play, but, um, yeah, just keep plugging away and try to play every chance I get. It's a, it's, you know, as a sport and as a recreational sport, that's the, the beauty of it, you know, that you can do it yeah. whenever the, whenever the occasion, you know, weather-wise or whatever time-wise suits and you can do it with anyone that, you know, you, you and I can play or, you know, you can go out with a pro and play, or you can play with a kid, you can play with a mama or a dad or whoever, and everyone just plays golf, you know, like, but, you know, I can't, you and I can't go out and ride in the, in the bush together because, you know, you'll be waiting for me every, every, you know, corner, and it just doesn't, <laughs> doesn't work, but we can go out and play our sport and, and this sport and, and enjoy it. Um, yeah. You like a bit of PGA Tour, is that right? Say that again. Do you like you you like watching the PGA Tour? You you invested in that, yeah. You, yeah. Yep. So yeah, we'll, we'll talk about it more in a sec. But I sort of see. Imagine all these young guys that are trying to make it on the PGA Tour, and you know they're in Australia, they're in the states, they're in the UK, whatever part of the world they're in, and they're all you know got this big goal of getting onto the PGA Tour, and there's thousands of them. And it's hard, yeah? And, yeah. you know, is is that like, that's like motocross, yeah? There's there's hundreds of kids riding dirt bikes around that all want to get onto the, you know, the arena cross or the stadium cross, you know, AMA series, but it doesn't happen. But what, is mm-hmm. it, what, it, what does it take, you know, for someone to make it up to that top level? You know, what, what are some of those traits of uh, the person from, well, your, from your perspective? Um, what it took for me um, is just the dedication that my mom and dad put into it. Um, and then, you know, they, they, when I was young, young, they put the dedication in to take me every weekend. They get off work on a Friday, drive all night, race Saturday, Sunday, drive all night, Sunday, go to work Monday morning, every weekend when I was a kid, well, every weekend except for the wintertime, which is snowing and stuff, and and still then we would go down um, to Florida or somewhere down south and ride, you know, do the um, the nationals, and so when I was young, that's what it took to 
get fast, get noticed, get sponsored. Um, and then from there, it was, I told you this story uh, before, but it's just, um, everybody sees it. Well, all right, so I think it was my seventh or eighth, I think it was my eighth grade teacher, and it was career day or, or whatever. And they were asking, asking everybody, you know, what you want to be when you grow up or what are you going to be when you grow up? And people were saying fireman and, you know, doctor and this, that, and the other. And it came around to me and I said, I want to be a professional motocross racer. And, uh, she looked, she looked at me and said, pick something that could really happen or something like that. I don't know the exact words, but pretty much pick something else because that's not going to happen. And, uh, that's that's the way a lot of people are going to look at you um, when you say that's what I'm going for. Um, they're like, yeah, that can't happen. It's just like when I was saying I couldn't see how I was going to ever get in a Monster Jam truck and drive. It's a, the same kind of deal, but from a young age, uh, racing dirt bikes, I knew that's what I wanted to be when I grew up. I wanted to to race dirt bikes for a living. I didn't want to sit behind the desk or, or you know, do surgeries on people or any of that stuff. I wanted to race dirt bikes. And it just, it was tough. And I missed a lot of schools, or not a lot of schools, a lot of school days um, going racing. Had to make up a bunch of school work. Um, I, didn't, I didn't get to do all of the the high school sports that everybody else did because um, I was, you know, I would come home from school and we would ride dirt bikes every day. And then <clears throat> when it got up and I was, say, um, I don't know, I was 18 or whatever when I turned pro. And then it was, yeah, I was fast enough to get my pro card. Um, but that didn't do me any good as far as making a living, because I, if you go to the races, spend all the money to go to the races, and then you don't do very good, you don't get paid. So um, it was just a lot of dedication and, and um, trying to make a structure out of practice. Um, you practice for this much per day, and then you work out for this long per day, and, and then I ended up getting um, – paying for a personal trainer. Um, and so he could kind of schedule my workouts around my riding and racing and practicing. And, um, it was just, you know, you gotta, you gotta be fully committed. You can't, you know, be a, just a dirt bike racer on the weekend or a golfer on the weekend. And then all week, you know, go hang out with your buddies and do something else. You got to be dedicated. You got to do it every day. Um, sure, you have days off, but you got to the majority of the days. You have to be practicing. You have to be training. You have to be doing whatever you can to make yourself better. Because if you even say you get up on the PGA tour and then you don't finish finish in the top 125 well guess what you're off of it again hmm. so you got to keep even once you get there 
it's hard enough to get there, but then you got to stay there and be relevant and be, you know, up doing good, winning tournaments or, you know, at least making cuts. Um, it's it's the same same way in, in racing dirt bikes. Like if I go to these races and then don't even qualify for the main event, then I'm not making enough money to make a living at it. Yeah. So it's just uh, it's tough, but uh, don't don't let ever don't ever let anybody tell you you can't, um, or don't don't believe them when they do tell you you can't. My eighth grade teacher told me I couldn't, and now I wish I remember who it was so I could go back to him and and say, hey, you know, quit quit telling that to the kids. Let them let them dream. Let them go for it. That's excellent, mate. Do you, do you, did you ever see you know parents getting in the way of, of kids' success? You know by you know let's call it living their dreams through their children. Is that did you ever see much of that sort of happening? Um, I've seen a lot of people that race dirt bikes get out of it, quit racing dirt bikes because their parents push them too yeah. hard. Yeah. And yes, it, it, it's usually the parents living their dream, what they wanted through their kid, which my mom and dad, they never, they never forced us to race. They never, um, well, you, you, you know, they never, anytime we come off the track, you know, they're not yelling at us and, and this, that, and the other, yeah. you know, they're, they're not saying, you did terrible, you suck, this, that, and the other, you know, their, their main goal was for us to have fun. And, and they let us take it, me and my brother, um, let us take it as far as we wanted to take it. And my brother's still better. That's what he does for a living. So you, you know, obviously and clearly had the ability and, you know, your parents were there just guiding you along and, um, it sounds like a really, a really nice, uh, uh, way that you've, um, come through the ranks and, and, and grown up and, you know, got to spend all that time with your parents doing that. It was awesome. Uh, your, yeah. bro- your brother's, yeah, your brother's it's just crazy re- looking. Sorry, go on. Oh, I was saying it's it's just crazy now looking back. We didn't think nothing of it when we were kids, but now looking back, like seeing how much my mom and dad sacrificed for us, um, it's just it's crazy. But I mean, that's what it took. That's what that's what we needed uh, to be able to make our dream come true. If you're a parent listening to this, a parent of a golfer or whatever, and you have a young, talented person you know, in your family, you know, let them listen to this because that message is really, really strong. And if the young person listens to it uh, and they remember that, you know, what Justin just said, it's crazy to think about it now, but you don't get that time back and, uh, you know, cherish the moment with your parents. And uh, if they get nothing else out of it other than that, that'd be a good thing. But, um, you know, hopefully there's some messages in there that they can learn from someone else in another another sport that's applied their trade at the highest level and it's just very clearly articulated what it's taken and the level of dedication and focus and um, so play it to the kids parents play it to the kids so man back to the pga tour who are you following who are you on who, who are you like um i like uh 
man, this new kid, this Cameron Camp kid, he, uh, he, it's just exciting, like how how much further he hits than everybody. So like he's he's the the newest guy that I I kind of try to follow, I guess. Um, Phen- but he's, I've always he's phenomenal. He's always unbelievable. Like always like Phil, yeah, okay. Always like Phil, just because of the stupid things he can do with his short game or getting out of trouble. or And he's a risk taker. So you watch him, you know, it's not going to be a boring round. Yep. It's going to be exciting because he don't drive it straight. But then he still goes for greens most of the time when he shouldn't. And about three-quarters of the time he makes it. But um, it's never boring. Um, also, like uh, – Bubba Watson, he uh, he hits it far. Well, he's, it's not even that far now that uh, Cameron Champ came came along, but uh, he hits it far, and, and he's the same way. He he's a risk taker. Um, so yeah, I, I guess I follow follow the risk takers. I I follow a little bit of everybody, but uh, uh, yeah, I'd say those are the the most exciting to watch for me. Anyone can win these days, yeah. It's 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 yeah. evened up a lot, you know. Like it's not Tiger and Phil show anymore, or you know, it's great to see Tiger back. And you know, certainly from what I do, I've noticed a difference in in people being up and about that Tiger is back, and which is great. Love it. Love Tiger. Love that he's back and yeah. doing what he's doing. But but really, it's so even. And, and I think yeah. when we spoke when we first met, you know, like once again, parallels across to you know your former motocross world is you know let's roll it roll it back 10 years and you know there was probably one or two winners yeah main winners you know yeah. like what, yeah. you know it was a couple a couple of key guys but so what was that like back then and and now yeah it was uh there was always maybe two to three guys that could win um and now there's probably eight or ten in each class um it's it's kind of kind of the same thing as golf it's i I think there's just uh, everybody's getting so many more opportunities and learning so much more about the training side of it uh you know working out the um learning better ways to practice and um better uh, there's just there's just more opportunities, I guess, uh, for everybody, and there's more information out there on how to become the best motocross rider or best golfer or um, whatever it is. There's there's all this doc- there's all this documentation of what people before you did and how they did it or what they changed in their swing or how they changed it and there's all, all this technology where you can look at your swing and analyze it on the computer and um it's just i think it's just that's just it it's just what you have um access to is why there's so many more people at that top level have you ever had the chance to have your swing analyzed? Have you been on a track man or one of the other um, simulation bits of tech? Um, I have hit 
into one, like at a golf galaxy, uh, just a golf shop. Um, but I've never been, I've never been fitted, like fitted, fitted. I, I was fitted for loft and line and I chose whatever shaft on my, uh, or I was fitted for lie and length of shaft. And then I just chose whatever shaft I wanted, but I've never actually been fitted as far as trying different brands of shaft, different types of that brand. And I haven't done that yet. That's before I buy my next set of irons. Uh, I'm going to definitely, definitely get on the watch monitor and, and figure out what exactly I need. Yeah. Totally agree. You should, and and even from a practice point of view, getting on a launch monitor and understanding, you know, what your set of numbers are, and if you, you know, combine that with some coaching and make some changes, you know, you can, you know, you can see the measurable differences. And once you can see it and you can feel it and you can practice it, you know, you it tends to be able to you can make those changes really, really quickly. And especially, you know, someone from a professional background in other sports, you know, they seem to learn. I, I find they seem to learn really quickly and be able to implement change really quickly. You know, hey. Don't do that that time when you come over the jump. Don't take that line, you know, do whatever. Do it different next yeah. time and go and do it. And I think I see a lot of professional people from other environments in the sporting sense being able to make changes really quickly. So I reckon you'd benefit a lot from spending some time on a track, man. So if you ever get that opportunity, go and do it. Um, what do what you, you know? I actually have a, uh, I have a buddy that was, uh, he's an ex-golf pro from a golf shop. And uh, he's been doing or from a golf course, and he actually has, like, a launch monitor and stuff. He just don't have anywhere to set it up yet. He don't have anywhere to set it up at his house, and I got places here, but as expensive as that stuff is, and, you know, we don't need somebody coming through and, and stealing it or whatever. Yeah. He wants it at his house somewhere, but he don't, he don't have the space to set it up. Mate, they're pretty portable. You just... Set up a projector, a screen, a heating mat, and away you go. Yeah. <laughs> hey, so you, you mentioned well, that... He, he just don't have anything with high enough ceilings yeah, uh, yeah, to yeah. swing. Yeah. So um, you mentioned when next clubs you get, you know, you're going to get fitted for. What do you, what what equipment catches your eye when you go surfing the net or flicking through a magazine? No one flicks through magazines anymore, but surfing the net or looking online, what uh, what gears caught your eye? Hey, I, I still flip through magazines. Yeah, okay. I got a lot of. Uh, I was joking, but yeah. I got a lot of flights I got to do. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, let's see. Uh, as far as irons go, um, I like the look of the the new Mizuno's, the nine nineteen Tour. Let's see. There's there's a bunch of them out there now. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I like I like players' clubs. Now I probably don't need them. My swing probably don't need, or I would I would probably benefit from something a little more forgiving. But uh, I started playing blades way too soon, and now it's hard to go back to anything else. Most of the new uh, players' irons, they all kind of look good. They all, you know, they're all going for the same thing: thin top line short blade length um so it's just i just gotta hit them i mean they 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 all look good they look cool um i just gotta hit them and, and see what i like and see what you know what the ball flight is and everything else so 
Lorraine, have you had the opportunity to play since coming back from Puerto Rico in Australia, or are you still carrying that little bit of a shoulder niggle? Yeah, I'm, I'm actually doing some physical therapy and stuff on my shoulder, and it's getting better, but I haven't been able to play. Um, I did take my current irons and um, took them apart, took the shafts out of them, tipped the shafts a half inch to make it a half plex stiffer, and then lengthen them, you know, back to what I should have a half inch over standing. Um, and I bought a couple of new wedges. Probably shouldn't have done that, but uh, it was a deal I couldn't pass up. What did you buy? What wedges? So I've been, uh, they're the ping glides. Oh, yeah. They uh, were 30 bucks a piece. I bought a sandwich and a gap wedge, or a 56 and a 50. Um, they were thirty bucks a piece and pretty much brand new. Um, I mean, just shopware. Uh, what it was is there's a there's a golf shop that they bought out some ping retailer. Um, so they have a whole room full of nothing but pings, everything you could think of. Um, within the last couple of years. And it was all marked super low. And I'm generally not a big fan of ping clubs, but I mean, it's it's a wedge and it's a classic shape. I mean, the wedges ain't ain't that. Uh, I don't know. They a lot of them are close to the same shape yeah. and and everything else. So there's some quite nice, you know, like about those ping glide wedges. They've got a elastomer insert you know you'll see that little bit of um, metal at the back of it there and there's a little bit yep. of an insert in there which is not that common in those you know high performance wedges but for a, a cast and most wedges are cast but for a cast wedge they feel ultra to me anyway they feel yeah. ultra soft yeah. and uh, yeah they're they're a nice club man and, and if you've got them for 30 bucks us a piece which is probably like 50 australian you've done you've done well i think well done I was looking I was looking for a new gap wedge is what I was looking for and ended up just buying both of them so I have the same um, wedge and my gap and my same wedge if you, if you see any more hot deals like that give me a and shot I, I don't a, hit a 60 you don't hit a 60 nope why not because as of right now I don't get to play or practice enough to uh, short shots around the green to, you know, memorize or know how far a 56 goes compared to a 60 when you got a 50 yard shot. Um, I don't know. As high as I need to hit it, I can hit it by opening up a 56. Um, So I, I just, I, I had a 60 degree when I first started, um, and then I went to a 56, and I just kept a 56. Plus, to carry a 60, I would have to take something else out of my bag, and I don't, I don't see me parting ways with anything else in my bag right now. So, what takes up the other, you know, outside of the putter? What takes that? Well, talk about the putter. What takes up the other 13 clubs? You got the even roll, putter, um, even roll putter, yeah. 
Yep, I got the even row putter. I got glides, um, fifty six and fifty, and then I have um, pitching two two iron two pitching wedge of the Max Five Revolutions old clubs. Beautiful. And then I have a tour edge exotics. Um, which one is that? I think it's the XCG7 three wood, and then I got the Tourette Exotics EX9 driver. What shaft you got in that bad boy? Uh, it is the Rogue 110, stiff. Stiff. So if you're if you're tipping your shafts S300 to make them play a bit stiffer. Do you need it? Are you, are you more a stiff guy in your driver, or you'd be extra stiff? You think? Do you know what your driver swing speed comes in at? I'm not sure. Um, like six years ago, when I went uh, swung on like a deal at Golf Galaxy, it was like 105, anywhere from like 104 to 106, yep. something like that. Yeah. But I, I don't know now. I have no idea. Go and get on that launch monitor with your man. Yeah, I need to. So, mate? I need to for sure, but the big, the biggest thing, like on my eyes, I just don't made them a half spike stiffer. Just, I, want them, I wanted the pulse light to be a little bit lower. Yeah. So there's probably a couple of shafts, you know, to, to have a look at. You know, so the S300 is certainly one of those shafts that's a lower lower launching shaft. You know, it's a heavier heavier weight shaft. Um, yeah. yeah, there's a couple others that come to mind. Yeah, the KBS Tour C Taper, yeah, that's certainly one that's going to give you that lower flight. Uh, the Project X is is always one. You know, in a, depending on the on your flex suitability, a 6.0 or a 6.5, you know, that's going to give you a lower flight. So, Mo, Nippon Modus 130, you know, so they're ones to have a look at. If you if you, you know, and you being tall, I can I can see how you you know you might sort of launch it high. Um, it happens a little yeah. bit. Happens a little bit with taller guys. Um, have a look at those shafts. You know, when you get down to the next golf galaxy or whatever shop, but have a look at those shafts because they're traditionally the lower launching ones. And um, you know, probably you know, I think within one of those, you'd probably find something that's going to suit. But have a go, man. That's that's the best thing about yeah. golf. Just having a crack. So yeah, mate, and to um, the so these Max Fly irons. They are parallel tip shafts. So a parallel tip, from everything I've read, a parallel tip S300 is actually a little softer than a taper tip. Yeah, correct, yeah. And not as common, you so, know, like it's, you can't always get every every shaft and shaft weight and shaft in in parallel tip. You know, there's some that they, they just don't do parallel tip. Most of that high spec club these days is all taper tip, so... Um, so yeah. yeah, mate. Simple. Just upgrade the whole set, man. Just get some new ones. Easy. Yeah. <laughs> Easy. If it was that, you're talking to a golf shop guy. Come on. I'm not, what, am I, what else do you expect me to say? Yeah. Yeah. Well, hey, if I come, if I come back there uh, next year, which hopefully I do, then I'll just bring my clubs and we'll we'll get them dialed in. No problems at all. Next time you come, I'll take you. Uh, you can name the course in Melbourne, 
and I'll take you there. So there's my promise to you, young right. man. If you come back, you name the course, and by hook or by crook, I will uh, I will get you that experience. My promise to you. So, man, I've taken up cool. enough of your time, yeah. two times now, and uh, I really, really, really appreciate it. I think it's very clear that yeah, you're no a very passionate golfer. You know, it's a sport that you've come to to complement your other your other sport, which you've turned into your professional career, and uh, and that's a great thing because we love golf whatever way it comes to you and however you play it and however often you play it. And that's, I like hearing stories from guys that do other things but just have a passion for golf and they find that little space down the back of the course that they can go and chip and putt for an hour and and uh, and lose lose some time and, and enjoy, enjoy some time. Um, appreciate you telling us about the Megalodon, Monster Truck, Monster Jam and that experience, your motocross experience at the highest levels. You know, fantastic to hear about that. It's a great journey and a great story. So I really appreciate your time, man. I really do. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. So keep driving. Keep doing the flips and the bloody two wheels and one wheels and the saves and the all of that stuff. Get back down mm-hmm. here next year and, uh, and we'll catch up then. I've got some uh, golf balls with a little kangaroo on it. I'm just trying to wait to get the... Uh, the wording right underneath, but I'll send you a little picture of the little kangaroo logo that I've got for you, and you can sit those in the trophy cabinet uh-huh. and, and think about think about Oz, and uh, and uh, I'll have a couple here for you next year when you come down. Cool, that sounds good. All right, man. Well, if that's it, we're done. All right. Well, let me know if uh, <laughs> hopefully this one. This one works. <laughs> no, no. But uh, if not, give me a call. We'll do it again. No, no, mate. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a four podcast pro now. Yeah, I got four out there, so you know, I know what I'm doing. Oh dear. Yeah. Man, I've had some. Um, <laughs> it's, it's. It, look, it's, it's a bit of fun, and I don't know if you listen to podcasts or whatever, but I put one out last night, and it was with a mate of mine. Here's the golf pro just down the road from here at. You know the course that I basically came back to playing golf when I had that big break and I came back. He took over being the pro there and we became friends. I got some coaching off him and he's coached at a high level. And I listened to it last night before I posted it. It was a really good story. It was really nice. You know, his he was the trainee pro at Royal Melbourne, which is you know in the top five golf courses in the world. So you know he learnt his craft of being a pro there under some good people. Um, then he became the pro at Mornington, which is you know, it's not a lo- it's a private course but it's not a super private course you know you can still you and I can go down there this afternoon and pay a 30 bucks and play but um yeah he's one of the best playing club pros in 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 the land but you know his wife has MS and has struggled with MS for a while and went to Russia to have that you know revolutionary stem cell replacement treatment um she's just had a hip and a knee replacement so she's in hospital she's been in hospital for about four months now she probably won't come back from from hospital for christmas he's got four young boys he takes them to karate and he's found karate as a way of being an outlet and you know his son's being a positive outlet and being around some positive you know sort of like-minded people and it, it's a really nice story if you get the chance to listen to it but that was my fourth one that went up last night so you'll be my fifth or my sixth man 
Everything's Sounds good. Yeah, I have to uh, look at them and or uh, is it on your Facebook? I guess. Yeah, yeah. You'll see that the links are always on there. I po- yeah. I'll post them on there. As um. Right. Yeah, yeah I've seen one um, here a while back. Uh, it might have been, I don't know which one it was, but um, yeah, I'm going to have to listen to them and, yeah. and hey. uh, check that out. If you're, you know, if you're walking, walking, riding, running, or you know, playing golf or whatever, put the earphones in and have a listen. But the one last night was, it's, it's a good one. If you like your golf and like a good, you know, nice sort of warm golf story about a good guy, um, you know, who was the train, you know, trainee pro and assistant pro at Royal Melbourne. There's not too many guys that have that sort of on their CV. Um, yeah. You know, for here, for here, Royal Melbourne's like the equivalent to, you know, Pebble Beach, Pine Valley, Pinehurst, that sort of level sort of stuff. Um, but he's just a good guy. Um, how's your family, mate? Everything good? Yeah, actually, uh, my mom, dad, and brother are in Chile, in South America. Yeah, wow. My bro- my brother's doing the doing the ISD uh, yeah. race. It's like the world, world championship of enduro. Uh, yeah. Enduro. Oh, we we yeah. ho- my hometown yeah. in the Hunter Valley in New South Wales hosted the ISDE in must have been nineteen ninety three four somewhere around then early you know, early nineties. So we had you know the ISDE come to town in our little country town in New South Wales. So it's a where I grew up. It's a massive, right. massive enduro, you know, off-road area. It's a massive part of uh, the, the 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 two-wheel fraternity up there. So, yeah, a lot of lot of great trails. It was all really interesting. But um, yeah, I was a little bit involved in that. Yeah, it was good. I think I even had a Team USA jacket. Cool. I, yeah. even, I even got a Team USA jacket back then. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, uh, two years ago, my brother was the first American to ever win. Individual overall and in asking. Did he? Oh, no, I read that. No, I did read that the other week. He so he was individual overall. Yeah. yeah wow. Yeah, yeah. He was the first American to do it, and then last year, let's see, two days before he flew out, um, he broke his wrist. Yeah. Um, so he didn't get to go last year, and so then he's going. He's there this year. He's, he had a, I guess, pretty pretty big crash uh, yesterday, but he's already uh, still riding. So, how did he make that transition from? I think he might. Sorry, go on. Um, I don't know what I was going to say. What did you say? Oh, I said, how, how did he make that transition from motocross to enduro? Was, yeah, obviously fine, but uh, he he does everything now. Yeah, but. He did supercross, motocross, and when he got married, um, the teams he was riding for in supercross, motocross, wanted him to live in California all the time, and he wanted to be back home with his wife and stuff. So he started to, doing GNCC, which is hair scrambles. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with GNCC; it's Grand National Cross yep. Country. Yep. No, no. Uh, he uh, he did that for a few years, and then uh, that that's how he did, or that's how he got into the ISDE thing. And then let's see, he 
So then now he does, we got these things called sprint enduros over here. He does, he did the whole, well, he didn't do the, his plan was to do the whole series of sprint enduros this year. Um, that was the only series that he was going to do the whole thing for, but he ended up missing two of them because he did the Des Nations, uh, the Mother Cross of Nations, and for Team Puerto Rico. And then, um, but he's done flat track this year. He won a flat track event. He's done GNTCs. He's done sprint zeros. He's done um, uh, motocross, uh, outdoor national, or pro motocross. He's done, uh, let's see, what else did he do? He's just done a little bit of everything. It's kind of, uh, he's he's pretty much just making his living being the jack of all trades. Yeah. You know, getting and sponsors are getting behind him because people follow it when you do a bunch of different things. Yeah. He never he never thought about turning his hand to road bikes at all. Um, no, no, haven't yet. See a lot of guys out here that um, you know, where once again where I grew up, very popular flat track area. Yeah, so when I say when I say flat track, yeah. you know, I'm talking about motocross bikes with lace rims, you know, um, wet weather road racing tires on it, oil tracks. Is yeah. that is that what you call flat track as well? Yep. Yeah. Yep. So they it's, got it's a so it's hold on, is it a dirt? Yeah, dirt. Yeah, yeah, dirt. dirt track? Yeah, dirt track. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, you know, yep. like, do you remember Anthony Gobert? Mm, I don't think so. Okay, he was a he was a flight tracker that became motocross and then went on to be a a, a, a world superbike rider. He got mixed up in a lot of bad stuff, but yes. um, but yeah. Anyway, all right, man. So I'm gonna go and see my uh, wife. She's in in inside there, and uh, it's our day off. So we don't we've never usually had a day off together. So we're gonna go and have some lunch. Alright, well enjoy it. Alright mate, thanks for your time. Alright. I'll be in touch. Alright, see you. See you bye bye.